Hello there, I'm Tim and he's John and this is How to Murder Time, a podcast about games and things. Hello everybody. Watcher. We're back. Back again. Another week. I know. Like Summer's the over. the relentless turning of a giant millstone grinding the grain of, of mild interest into the flower of, 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 a, of a runaway metaphor. Yeah. Yes. Um, we're back. We've played some games. Uh, shall we start? Or if you want to... You can start. I can start. I'm going to start with uh, Torment, Tides of New Monera. And I keep getting that wrong. I keep calling it New Monera, Tides of Torment, and it's not. It's the other way Can around. we just call it not Planescape Torment? Planescape Torment 2, yes. Um, it so desperately wants to be Planescape Torment 2. So this is the spiritual successor, which, is, lot which, now, which is a code phrase for we don't have the rights to do an actual, <laughs> to actual sequel. We don't have the rights, but we've probably got some of the devs. We're going to do it anyway. Um, yes, so... This is uh, essentially a point-and-click adventure game of the oldie, Baldur's Gatey type style, which is quite popular and fashionable these yeah. days. In fact, when you fire it up, it even says there's a little flat. One of the splash screens says uh, "Pillars of Eternity Tech" or "Engine" or something. So mm. it, it is essentially based on the Pillars of Eternity. Makes engine. sense. I've not played Pillars of Eternity. I probably should. That's that's widely highly regarded mm. as well. So it, Pillars of Eternity game. is to Baldur's Gate what this thing is to Planescape Torment. It's. Um, it's the usual format. You have a little guy on the screen. It's a sort of locked top town, sort of isometric kind of view, and you click around the around the screen, uncovering areas and looking at things and interacting with other characters and chats and so on. Um, it's sort of pseudo three D in the way that the old games, the Planescape Torment and stuff, weren't. So that was all pre-rendered and it was all sprites. Mm, yeah. But they, they sort of use a three D engine to replicate that for, look and feel. You always now. forget how old those games are. They are really, really old. Oh, yeah, twenty years plus at least. Probably the rest as well. Yeah. I don't know. Baldur's Gate. I turn off the top of my head. Planescape Torment came out just after Baldur's Gate. So Baldur's Gate was was, was a fine thing in its day. It did its thing. It was a sort of, I don't know. I always found it to be a fantastic implementation of Dungeons and Dragons, and and right down to all the stats, all the all the sort of equipment, the character skills and classes and spells and abilities, all realised in computer game form in a way that didn't leave you having to use your imagination in the way Dungeons and Dragons did. I mean, yes. I, it was a very frustrating thing, Dungeons and Dragons for me back in the day, because I, I never really got the group together back then, we never really got the got the thing rolling and, and you know, for one reason or another, it was just it was always a somewhat unsatisfying experience so when computer game came along, interpreted it pretty much spot on Fantastic. So everyone loves Baldur's Gate, or they don't, you know. If they don't, I've probably lost you already at this point. But so Baldur's Gate came along. Be a fine. new record for early <laughs> <in> the episode. <laughs> Uh, <clears throat> after that came Icewind Dale and Planescape Torment. So Baldur's Gate was Baldur's Gate. Was Icewind Dale a relation? Icewind Dale was a sort of... Um, it wasn't really... A <laughs> I see what you did there. Sorry, a bit <laughs> slow. Yeah. Um, but Icewind Dale was basically, let's take Baldur's Gate and get and just really dial down on the plot and puzzles and reading. And it really was a very combat-y, dungeon-crawly mm. dungeon type of, uh, I don't know, pro, proto-Diablo? Diablo was if doing I, its thing at I the time. If I was going to be... Um, Hmm. Uh, slightly harsh. I said they salvatored it. <laughs> they salvatored. Well, I don't know. It was yeah. It was set in the Forgotten Realms, <laughs> as was Baldur's Gate, Icewind Dale at the top in the far north, and there was a whole series of R.A. Salvatore books yeah. about the series as well. Um, it went down well, but it was essentially not that deep. Icewind Dale. It was. It was deliberately. Yeah, it sets out to be. Yeah, there's no massive epic story to it. There's a very loosely set, loosely chained together set of reasons why you're attacking this set of dungeons in a row, but. But so and so that was sort of you know that was popular with the folks who really liked the combat of D and D. But Planescape Torment almost went 
entirely the different direction with it all and it became this really weird sort of interactive novel thing disguised as a Baldur's Gate game. It, famously there are only four required fights in the entire 40 odd hours of gameplay. The rest of the rest of the things you can either avoid or talk your way around or in a couple of memorable cases literally discuss out of existence <laughs> some of the opponents. Planescape was the uh, second edition campaign setting that went with Dungeons and Dragons and it was a sort of outer planes revamp thing the original planes at earth wind earth wind and fire and the outer planes of all the different hells and heavens how to work that into the cosmology yeah. of dungeons and dragons so that all your gods and devils can function correctly that was all quite it was originally the manual of planes by jeff grubb and the first edition advanced dungeons and dragons and it was it did its job but it was a bit of a sort of bit of a sterile bolt-on sort of thing and that was really taken and really ran with the planescape setting a lot of people had a lot of fond memories. It was a little bit before my time. My first exposure to it was through Planescape Torment. And it was an absolutely crazy place. It, it was very philosophical. It was about... Essentially, Planescape sort of sets up this kind of Casablanca kind of place, Sigil, which is the main city in, in the Planescape setting, which is at the centre of the multiverse. And it acts as a kind of Casablanca sort of place where the, the opposing opposing agents of this big celestial war in heaven could go to fraternise yeah. and, and you know sort of do shady dealing and so on and it became a really sort of fancy adventure town with portals to everywhere you know it was an, an ideal setting for a kind of wacky out there sort of philosophical cosmological kind of Dungeons and Dragons campaign and it was really well utilised to create the backstory of Planescape Torment. Now Planescape Torment is a bit of a thing it's, it's quite, it has an enormous reputation and it depends it, you know, your mileage might vary I always found that reputation to be hugely deserved it was an immensely cerebral mentally philosophical quite intricate type the story, a lavishly storied thing that went on on multiple levels. Basic story is you are an amnesiac immortal that wakes up in in a mortuary, uh, trying to find out who killed you and why, and it sort of really just spirals out of control from there. You. You come across a wacky cast of supporting characters, a, a big villain, a massive conspiracy going on that like, sort of runs all through the multiversal reality. You, as your as your as yourself, there can be almost any class as you develop through. You know, in terms of game mechanics, you become more and more and more powerful in a way that just totally sort of runs amok with the Baldur's <laughs> Gate conventions. Your your ability scores reach sort of the high twenties eventually towards the end, for base starting from your original sort of eighteen, you know, three to eighteen dice rolls. You become literally a living god as you uncover more and more of who and what you are and why why what's going on is happening to you there's and and it, it was a really sort of satisfying quite depending how you play it of course it was it really sort of normally alignment is just this weird idiot score for measuring measuring yeah. how your paladin abilities work or don't but they really i'm never work, been a fan of alignment well no nor nor the people who wrote planescape tournament <laughs> because they really run off with it and it really starts to be significantly implemented and have an impact on the world around you particularly since we're talking about the outer planes which are the planes of belief mm. this is where the gods and devils all live and this is where most people go when they die this is where all the heavens and hells are of course you can you can vent, you can adventure into these places whilst alive still as well and meet all sorts of crazy things and stuff but there are places that where you believe things if you believe things strongly enough they actually happen and that's a pretty key fundamental concept with the outer planes and planescape itself that's how my head works indeed yeah solipsism ahoy so you end up with a character that can start to manifest and warp physical reality by the dialogue choices you start to pick, which is fantastically fun and played with in a lot of places. <laughs> Planescape is, is is quite rife with with humour as well. You know, it doesn't take itself that seriously. But then there's a lot of really quite epic stuff going on in this story. So you know, it famously has yeah, like I say that the. the 
most combats up to and including I mean there are four required fights in the entire game of Planescape Torment one of them is the tutorial combat where you have to kill a zombie <laughs> that's in the same room as you to get the key to unlock the room to get out of so basically it's just the world's worst run mortuary <laughs> well it's 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 the headquarters of a philosophical faction called the Dustmen it's a, it's a complicated thing but but basically um, yeah it's famous for having I think Chris Avalone's the chap who's sort of famous for doing a lot of the key story work and writing on that and there are I believe about half a million lines of dialogue <laughs> mostly conveyed through that little pop-up thing at the bottom yeah. of the screen the Baldur's Gate style interface where you click on someone and then at the bottom it will pop up with some actual text and the bottom the bottom section of that screen you have a load of numbered options you can choose from that all starts to become sort of much like a choose your own adventure really with very little actually going mm. on in the sc- on the screen while that's happening you're reading you're, you're reading a story choosing different outcomes and what you'll say back to people many of those options were keyed into your ability scores and stats which was fascinating so if you have a high enough intelligence score for your character which can be incremented significantly and often throughout the game by what you do those you get extra options it brackets mm, yeah. square brackets insight and another option appears which you can choose and it's always it's always very satisfying to have be given those extra options and to feel quite clever for choosing them and stuff many of the things you choose in that dialogue would then feed back into the game it was a really you know essentially an interactive novel i suppose yeah. is perhaps the most accurate yeah. way of describing it i mean not in the perhaps the same way that you're walking simulators or your sort of more modern interactive novels they're a little more visual this was a kind of essentially a book that was supported by a kind of Baldur's gatey game behind it Pop, i don't know it was a marmite thing a lot of people loved it and then you know quite passionately and, and become quite boring when talking to about it hello um and a lot of people just bounced off it this is a bit dull you know and they went mm. off and for them there was diablo you know or whatever it was coming along and it's doing certainly its thing a game at the time. which has given me the uh, best ability to tune out people talking <laughs> It is a very specific thing. It was liked by by a lot of people, but not everyone, and not by a vast number of people, and become, I suppose, the very definition of a gaming cult classic. Mm. So here we are today. Uh, they're at the, uh, the 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 business end of uh, of a lengthy Kickstarter. There was all sorts of pledges, donations, and crowdfunding and stuff. And I think this is perhaps one of those examples of Kickstarter that works. Yes, in the you're not going to get a large AAA publisher do a Planescape Torment sequel or whatever, just, you know, apart from the rights, hell and all the rest of it, who owns the rights to Planescape? Mm. Planescape isn't even a thing in modern D&D anymore. I don't think the rights ex- are accessible for like 5th edition reprinting books or anything. I mean, they, they're redoing Eberron, you know, the campaign setting for that's used in DDO. That's coming out for 5th edition D&D now as a big re-release, but I don't think we'll ever see a Planescape mm. thing again, so you probably won't ever see a, a sequel to Planescape Torment. The problem with Planescape Torment is it was such a Lab, such a, a unusual and once in a lifetime thing that I think it's very difficult to sit down and write a tick list of what made that work. Yes, you know the secret yeah. source, the magic formula that made Planescape Torment. It's a, a, presumably a collection of people, certainly yeah. designers yeah. And, and story writers. Chris Avalone, I think, is involved in in this Torment Ties of Numenera, so that's a help. I think he's part of Obsidian Works with them. I think New Vegas, who's who worked on that. So yeah, he's a, he's a very talented story writer who resonates well with me because he writes the kinds of stories I like to read. So I do. You know, I'm not really into following celebrity devs, you know, the Molly News and the you know, Robertses and all the rest of it. Your rock star Romeros yeah. and I don't really go. I don't really subscribe to all that. They're people who they are art. They are artists who produce works, and I like those works. And they are often a guide to further works. But the thing is, a piece of a computer game is made by like two, three hundred people. You can't just pick one guy and say I, yeah. I love yeah. all his work. <laughs> in the end, like like David Bowie or Rembrandt or something like that, it doesn't really work quite that way in game design. I mean, there are people who are in charge who you can generally follow, and but it's the implementation, the team they put around them, the publishers they work with. It's it's, it's a difficult thing. 
But what they set out to do with this kickstart thing for, for Torment Tides of Numenera is all the way through. It's Planescape Torment, Planescape Torment. Ooh, did you like Planescape Torment? Come and look at this thing. <laughs> We're going to remake it. We, we have a spiritual success. They actually use that phrase over and over. They, they, they name-check Planescape Torment constantly throughout <laughs> the development and the release and the current store pages. Yeah. This is something that very, very consciously and very deliberately and perhaps a bit cynically attempts to create a Planescape Torment sequel, even though you're not allowed to call it an actual sequel. So that's quite a bold promise. That's quite a big ask. So they're sort of setting themselves up for failure there a bit, I think. But, <laughs> so I finally got round to giving it a go. I didn't really. I don't go in for Kickstarters anyway, and then I have the three month rule applied to everything all the time anyway. But I finally got round to buying it and giving it a go. Fired it up, and it's it really does deliver. It's a, it's astonishing. So if I have any criticism of it at all so far, is that I think it might be trying a bit too hard <laughs> to be Planescape Torment. Does it lack its own identity? A little. So you got this, so Numenera is the thing, is the angle. So Numenera is a pre-exist, pre-existing thing. So so in the tabletop pen and paper rulebook space, there's there's a similar kind of thing. Planescape was brilliant. We're never going to see it's like again. The, you know, and planes, you know, the, the the outer planes were quite you know downplayed in third edition, fourth, and so on. And 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 people you know bitch and complain and oh I don't make them like they used to. So anyway, there's a chap called Monty Cook who used to work with Wizards of the Coast. Used to work at TSR, who are now Wizards, whatever. Yeah. He used, to, used to work on I can't remember which editions he was associated with. But he basically went off and left them and came, went and started his own games company. And he's written. Basically, a rule system and world campaign setting called Numenera, which is the same Numenera of this game. Numenera is a world set two billion, the B, years into the future of the Earth. It's, it's set in what they call the Ninth World, uh, and basically eight major previous civilizations and probably countless smaller ones have come and gone in that time. And so we're in basically the kind of science fantasy ultra far future where Arthur C. Clarke's uh, tiresome, tiresome quoted phrase it, it rules the day, you know, yeah. any, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. And that's basically the world. The plants, the people, the mountain ranges, the, even, the, even the soil and the dust are the wreckage and remnants of, of millions and millions of years of, of defunct nanotechnology. There is nothing natural about the world. <laughs> and archaeological evidence suggests that at some point during these previous two billion years, human beings didn't exist. Oh. So what, who knows what the people around <laughs> today are, whether that's time travel or some kind of recreation from genetics. Who knows? I mean, the point being is that Numenera provides this fantastically bonkers world where there's a sort of logical underpinning to everything that exists but it's just so mind-blowingly advanced it might as well be magic there are floating obelisks flying floating through the sky that no one understands satellites up in orbit that have been put there a million years ago that tick along with sinister purposes of their own you got something called the iron wind which is this but for all intent for all account, intents and purposes essentially chaos it's, okay. a, it's, a, it's a it's a blowing cloud of nanotechnology that just utterly reshapes anything it comes across <laughs> in in quite hideous and, and ways inimicable to life it's, I quite like that yeah oh it's, it's, it's a world full of it, it, astonishing eye-dropping wonder and bonkers technology and gadgets the Numenera of the title is the sort of collective name for the artifacts left behind that, that adventurers go out and scavenge and try and make work for them and it'll be weird things like a microwave transmitter might be might be found in wreckage and, and be and dug up and used to heat food you know <laughs> like the, a jet thruster from from some sort of suborbital aircraft might be used as a flamethrower you know it's that kind of it's not quite Mad Max post-apocalyptic sort of junk town sort of thing but it's that kind of sensibility you've got these sort of bewildered 
new people of the ninth world picking through the, the wreckage. You know, it's, it's entirely possible there are no mineral resources left on this earth that aren't junk piles from, <laughs> from past, past empires and stuff. And it's a really evocative and interesting setting. Coupled with that, you've got a new rule system as well that isn't D&D, which is a much lighter thing, much more narrative. It's more about skill checks rather than complicated you know, to hit tables yeah. and that kind of thing. Usually you'll have a stat, you'll have a bonus, there'll be the difficulty will be a number, you roll some dice, add it all together, hurrah, you know, that skill check based system, which it does underpin a lot of the D20 stuff, a lot of Pathfinder and D&D, but this seems a lot lighter, you've got this concept of effort, you have pools, which replenish every day, might, speed and uh, intellect, and every day you get a certain number of points of that, and you can spend points in that to make your skill checks easier, or okay. to add on top yeah. of your skill checks, which basically takes a little bit of the randomness out of it, if there's a thing you have to absolutely succeed at doing, you can spend some of your depletable resources to make that happen um apart from that the rules seem i had i got most of the way through the, i actually bought the rule book for numenera and you know it was just a passing interest thing anyway i thought might perhaps might like to run some kind of campaign in it but the rules do seem a lot easier a lot more accessible a lot simpler and it's much more about the exploration the wonder and the storytelling than, than the mechanical business of standing in a corridor that divided into squares fighting a number of <laughs> goblins that all have these sorts of weapons that do that number of attacks so yeah a, a lighter sort of system and they've signed they've translated that into Numenera Tides of Torment into the game and it seems to come across fairly well I mean I don't know enough about either system really to to understand if it's been implemented well or if it works as a, as a computer game but they have a concept called crises which is essentially the fights yeah so most of the time you're wandering around town talking to people clicking through dialogue reading a lot of text which is good you know <laughs> yeah. um, but every so often you'll end up in an actual fight there's the obligatory early early stage tutorial fight that they put you through very early on and and the crises essentially yes you can you can use weapons and abilities and skills to cause damage but also you could try talking to people during the fight to see if you can talk them down or you can interact with bits and pieces of, of the, the the stuff around you on the in, on you know devices lying nearby that, yeah. you, that you could try and turn on and see if they affect the, the what would might be a battle but not quite a battle yes obviously attacking them all with stuff and killing them will do the job but it looks like they've tried to take this this, this concept from Planescape Torment of talking your opponent down or talking them to death without actually coming to blows. Try to take that into the fight mechanics as well. So the fights are fights, but within the fights, there's there's you know high charisma option, yeah. you know that kind of thing, or, or using your your using your intellect to work weird gadgetry to suddenly flood the battlefield in goop or whatever, you know that sort of thing. It, it's it's like they're almost afraid of because I think one of the defining characteristics of Planescape Torment was how unfighty it is. Yes, you could. Your name, the nameless one of Planescape Torment, you could develop him up as a, as a mighty fighter and just go through butchering everyone if you wanted to. But you really get the impression playing through that that the game thinks you're doing it wrong. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it really wants to you know, go off on its lavish. And uh, I am going to use the word pretentious because Planescape Torment was very pretentious. It was something I loved and enjoyed personally. <laughs> I was very impressed with. But I mean, this that sensibility runs through into Numenera as well. So the story, Numenera, you awake, uh, you you awake as falling from the sky in a weird cocoon you are the last cast off instead of the nameless one from yeah. the first day the last cast off of the changing god who is a kind of post-mortal wizard type who's millennia ago managed to work out the secret of transferring his consciousness into new bodies as and when required okay. and he does this once a decade on average um, for, and, and it's pursuing inscrutable method, you know, inscrutable higher purposes of his own and you, you are the most recent cast off, he's left your shell and one of the side effects of this is 
that when when he leaves the shell, the shell spontaneously generates its own new independent consciousness, which is you, in this case. Um, so you find yourself falling from the sky, Awkward. and there's a whole load of narrative stuff goes on before you even get to. It's just a black screen with some whooshing air airlines running through it, and a whole load of reading text stuff. It really sort of preps you for What's the. This is large and round. And yeah, I wonder, it, I wonder if it will be friends with me. I know I was expecting that line to come up, but it's that kind of thing. Anyway, so you, obviously you don't die. Um, some some passers, but some strangers. You'd fall towards some wreckage and ruins and some strangers in the ruins use some use a cipher which essentially is a kind of magical magical one-off device yeah. type div- thing to uh, to slow your descent you land with a hell of a bang anyway but somehow manage to suddenly regenerate and while that, while that regeneration is going on you suddenly find yourself awakened in your mind space and this is a big uh-huh. thing they do throughout the the, the uh, fathoms they call them you're basically building you as part of the narrative you're building inside your head a series of mental spaces in which you can talk to uh, echoes of people you've met or okay. people from the future and whatever sounds a bit Sherlock Holmes. It's yeah, it's a mind palace, and, and bits of this get added to as you encounter new people and talk to memories. You know, and memories appear in the world, and very much like uh, in Planescape Torment. You, in Planescape Torment, you're an amnesiac immortal, and you're trying to work out what happened in your previous lives. You wake up with no knowledge of any of it, and as you play through, different stimulus in the real world trigger memories of your own, and you start to reclaim them back. And that's one of the ways yeah. you gain lots of XP and level up is by sort of slowly uncovering and rediscovering more and more of who and what you were. You get some of that with this as well. You're not actually the changing god yourself, but you're obviously being a physical, you know, the, the previous brain that it was inhabiting. You can, you can access those memories more and more as you go through. So, yeah, you, and you begin the quest of trying to... You, you want, a fragment of your mind tells you that to, uh, to stabilise yourself and stop things going really bad, you need to find this device and use it quite quickly. But, of course, you landed on that device, ah. <laughs> smashing it up as you came in. So your initial quest is to try and get someone to help you fix this device so that you can use it and stabilise you, what you are and who you're becoming and things like that. And it all, it's very metaphysical all the way through. Uh, and you get uh, to meet some interesting companions. One of them's Callis Deges, is a woman who has somehow managed to superimpose every alternate reality version of herself onto her actual self. So she's in fact a kind of legion character. Okay. And the, the actual physical character in game has these ghostly images of herself <laughs> flickering around her all the time. So, so she, can, she can basically access and talk to the other versions of herself throughout every possible reality. And it's, you know, that's the kind of people you're meeting already. Then there's the, the other chap you meet is an embittered ex-Aeon priest who are an organisation who attempts to understand the ancient technologies and harness them and use them to bring a kind of civilization to this this current world and there's a, he's he's covered in living tattoos that he can pull off and throw around in combat you know these are just the first two NP, yeah. two companions you meet and they are so templated on the companions you get in Planescape Torment as well they're very similar kinds of creature with with weird metaphysical problems and, and personal you know, foibles and agendas of their own and they bicker and they chat to you and you can ask them for insight yeah. and you know you learn more about them as you go as a, as a kind of b story for each of them you meet others around the town the initial town the initial town Sagus Bluffs is this sort of coastal city built on the ruins of a whole load of ancient fallen war machines and things very similar to Sigil in Planescape Torment which is the city you start in there I mean all throughout I mean I've only been playing about 10 hours in and I've got about sort of 5 or 6 locations in (laughs) it's that much reading to do but all the way through you're spotting similarities like Fell's Tattoo Shop from Planescape Torment he's like a sort of a goat like uh, sort of half demon half angel 
angel type creature who's, who's, who's mute and specialises in tattoos and the tattoos in Planescape Torment are the way you, your equipment you yeah. don't you don't get magic artifact and items you're just mostly running around in your loincloth and your weird tattooed scarred skin but you, you gain tattoos you can buy tattoos from a shop which affect your stats uh, and also that expa- that set of tattoos expands the more experiences you have in game you can you can tell the, the tattooist about them and he'll engrave them on your skin and that will add, open up even more stat boosts and abilities and things anyway so that's Planescape Torment in in Numenera in the Numenera game you've got uh, a bio-augmentation clinic which seems to offer a similar list of options it's like all the way through you're thinking oh that's thingy from there and, <laughs> and in one case I, I have actually gone into a bar and literally met an NPC from Planescape Torment that I remember quite well they're just <laughs> written straight into this game <laughs> verbatim and he, he is the same it's the same guy performs broadly the same kind of abilities and functions on you when you talk to him it's it is a game I suppose it sets out to try and be Planescape Torment so hard and it so desperately wants to be it's almost like it's afraid to branch off and start doing mm. its own thing you can almost map one to one the kinds of things that are going on in there the early stage where you're running around sigil stroke sages bluffs learning you know the clueless idiot not knowing who we are and trying to pick up and then you start off in helping people with their own problems and one of the things with Planescape Torment I really enjoyed that they've also copied quite convincingly in here is all the little passers-by you talk to have their own bonkers weird magical realism science fantasy backstory going on just talking to them often many of them are doing nothing to propel your own plot they don't even have the quests of their own to give you but mm. they're just fascinating reading the textures of the kinds of stories that are, that are behind each of them it's like a lot of work has gone into fleshing out these this world i wonder if it, it like planescape torment is going to suffer a bit from a rushed third act possibly um, because planescape torment's a fantastic thing to lose yourself in and immerse yourself in until you start to leave sigil and you end up in the gate town and out in Bator and so on and Carceri and it gets, starts to get really rushed at that point it's like they've run out of time and money yeah. and just need to write all right get, get the character there get the main story told and the, the sort of the, the lavish sort of surroundings start to peter away a bit and that might I don't know if that's the case with the late, late stages of this game but if it if it did that then it would be true to the original <laughs> as well I suppose it's it's yeah and all of this sounds like a criticism oh it's too much like Planescape Talk. and I don't think that's a criticism at all it, it, it really does set out tick set out to do what it does which is basically create a spiritual successor to Planescape Torment and yeah if any criticism it has I think is that it is it's a bit afraid to establish its own identity yeah. it's a bit afraid to try its own things for fear of breaking that magical formula that we don't quite understand we don't quite know what makes Planescape Torment Planescape Torment it's a number of things brought together in a particular way that I thought would we'd only see once in our lifetime but they've I think they've managed to do it very convincingly in here it is it is quite slow paced i mean i find myself just playing a few hours here and there and really sort of absorbing it in and not wanting to rush it and not wanting to crash through each plot i'm probably going to talk to every npc i see try and tick off every quest i mean completion wise it's that's what i do anyway a lot of the time but you are weird like that it does seem to really pay off in this game because there's just so much nuanced little detail in the tiny little corners and the unexpected places as well as you know the quite an intriguing main plot and the main plot i assume is going to have me confronting the changing god at the end of it all and either i don't know trying to assume his identity or trying to stop him doing what he's doing or whatever i don't know that's that's the, one of the joys of it of course early on in your mind space when you're introduced to the concept you get attacked by a thing called the sorrow which is this black darkness of tentacles that fires off shadows and that's very planescape torment as well the early stage of planescape torment has you being pursued and hunted by these shadow creatures that you don't understand and you're trying to work out who's yeah. sending them and why and that seems to have been translated <laughs> again you know the very same it's not so much the main story as the thing with these two games it's it's the surroundings it's the intricate well-realized bonkers out there there 
magic world that is so is a million miles away from the Forgotten Realms and you know Galarian and whatever you know your generic your generic D and D style backstory world that's slightly pseudo medieval with a bit of King Arthur and Merlin yeah. all in it. This is you know a million miles away from that and and, and Numenera particularly and, and Planescape Torment as well. They they sort of defy any other kind of categorization as well. They're not really space western. They're not really you know steampunk. They're not really this that or the other. They are their own things. And using these two games as a lens with which to explore those two fascinating backstory worlds is is is, is great in itself. Mm. Is is an amazing thing. It is a very narrative experience. It's not very flashy, even within modern what I assume to be the Pillars of Eternity engine at work. You are still essentially looking at small people that might as well be sprites. Yeah. And these are actually 3D people. They're actually 3D modelled, the people and the, well, the landscapes they're in. But since you're in a locked camera view anyway... I mean, yeah. the, the advance on Planescape Torment is you can mouse wheel to zoom in and out on, on the thing. And, yeah, that, and they are that, quite detailed yeah. at close yeah. range, which you wouldn't have got in the original game. That was just a very fixed perspective because it was all just sprites. But... Um, and yeah, I don't. I, I find myself not even wanting to get into situations where combat might happen because I know combat's not going to be great. The example they gave was just, you know, essentially the new. It seemed to be new Numenera rules, which essentially give you a move and an action, so you can move to a place and do a thing, and the thing might be fight, hit someone with a thing, or yeah. it might be use a device or whatever. And then everyone takes their turns. It's a very sort of Fallouty style action point spend type thing, but not even with action points. You literally have a movement and an action. Yeah, and it's not even points. You know, like some weapons take. More points to do than others or if you move a short distance you could do more it is it does seem to be a very very simplistic combat system which to be honest i don't think anyone's coming to this game to enjoy that's not the reason <laughs> you're playing it so um yeah i'm i'm still i'm playing through that and it's going to take me a very long time because i'm just rationing it out it, i'm finding that i was a bit skeptical to begin with i thought oh yeah playing script torment yeah well we'll see but no they really have i mean i imagine partly because they've got quite a few people who are involved in playing script yeah. torment working on this thing anyway um in exile studio I don't know who they are or what provenance or who, where they came from or whatever else they've done, but they, it's a kickstart thing, which means you know, it suggests that the whole concept wasn't particularly popular in the first place. Otherwise, you know, it would be just a big AAA EA project or whatever. But Kickstarter can work for providing niche things that people specifically want, I suppose. Yeah. And if they want that thing enough and they are prepared to pay more than you would just pay for a computer game normally to do so, then it it can happen. And this is an example of that. Um, yeah, like I say, if you love Planescape Torment, I think this is definitely worthy of attention, worth a look. You'll find many similarities, and, and I think in a good way. And we'll see as we go through. I fully intend to try and play my way through to the end of it all, um, and we'll see We'll see what it's like, whether it's worth it in the, in the yeah. end, but it will take a while to do. So good. Yeah. 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 So you go that look. Right. Yeah, I'm just you're wondering. Just, hello. Yeah. I'm, I'm just I'm wondering sorry. if you're going to push it out to the full half hour. <laughs> <laughs> A couple of seconds. I probably ought to let you talk. No, a couple of seconds shy on a full half I, I think an, a, a, an occasion such as Planescape Torment and its spiritual successor are worthy of a detailed okay. examination. But uh, I probably ought to stop talking for a bit. Okay, I'm going to talk about Kill Team. Go on then. It might turn to glaze over. No, no, no you played as I well. I was playing, yes. yes. No, no, we, this, played, I am we played several games of Kill Team, which is yes. a games workshop uh, tabletop game for teams of three to. Oh, books on the table, isn't it? There we go. Three to 20 people. Uh, a weighty tone. It's all army lists. Uh, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, basically, um, easy to get into, relatively cheap to start compared to other games. See, I had this down as a kind of entry gateway junior 40k type thing. But it's it not does, really, no. does seem to be its own kind of thing. Well, no, it, it, it's a gateway junior 40k thing in the way of it gets you buying their models and 
they know full well that once you start, once you get the bug for painting, well, after you finish painting those six minis or 20 minis... Enjoy these, game them. Maybe you'd like to try this. Yeah. Boom, 40k. Yeah. Yeah. Then, then you go into the shop and there's the starter box for your force, uh-huh. which is 50 quid and has uh, a decent It's still quite pricey, stuff. isn't it? Yeah, but... You, for, yeah. for what's supposed to be a skirmish entry-level game. What I like about Kill Team, personally, is that once you've got your six or seven miniatures, you are done. Noob. Yeah, well, that's how I like to <laughs> believe anyway. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, no, uh, <laughs> it's not going to work like that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so basically... But with 40k, if you wanted to play a proper game of that, you're on, you're on the hook for at least three or 400 quid's worth of stuff, are, plus definitely. paints, plus yeah. scenery, you know. Yeah. yeah. Or, or, yeah. Mm. Uh, but in, in this case, it's a uh, limited number of stuff. I've almost finished painting my kill team. Yeah, 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 I can see them there. They're looking quite good. Yeah, they're a bunch of Dark Angels. My first kill team. So there's your Space Marines with the dark green scheme. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and definitely loyal. Definitely <laughs> loyal. <laughs> Are they broody emo with possibly loyal, possibly traitors types? Well, um, they're broody... They're good, solid ultramarines. You know where you are with them. They're broody emo monks who monks. Uh, may mm. have a secret that half their chapter fell to the bad guys and uh, they don't like people knowing. So they spend a lot of time uh, making sure people don't know. And if so they do know, they no longer know. Uh-huh. Right, yeah. okay. So, yeah, I put one of those together. We, mm-hmm. we, we've played several games now. We'll start, yes. we, we, we played... You caught me in a moment of vulnerable weakness, and I went and bought myself some Harlequins as well. So I've got a kill team too. Yeah. Yeah, which are your sort of space elf uh, murder clown uh, acrobat types, yeah. uh, which I quite like. Quite like it as a painting yeah. project. So so we, we played a couple of games on the uh, starter sets uh, board and scenery, but with our own kill teams. Yep. The starter set comes with a bunch of buildings, some really nice buildings actually, mm. and it also comes with Gene Steeler cults and Admech armies, but um, we're not using those at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what we, we played, what, three games in the end, was it? Yeah, we had, uh, I think... Two with our own teams, and then we swap teams to yeah. try the other way around. Yeah. What, what were your thoughts about it? Because it it's designed to be a shorter, easier to play in a convenient amount of time. I was expecting it to be game. quicker, to be honest. It still did take about two hours. For, well, an hour for one game. And yeah, about an hour for one game. Yeah, I was going to that get quicker because we were learning the rules. Yeah, time. yeah, that's true. I keep forgetting the rules and the look up tables, and it's it's still a, a whole bunch of cross referencing charts and stuff. Yeah, but I've solved that. But I, I've printed out page. 208 from yeah. the manual and laminated it. Yes, a reference chart there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I liked good. it. I think it's short, sharp and, and to the point and precise. I mean, you didn't sort of ramble on. There's a lot of rules in there that seem to bulk individual troops up. That whole The whole flesh wound concept flesh- essentially is a 50-50, you might yeah. stay alive. It, essentially, it gives each model a Three bunch lives. of lives in yeah. addition to their Three lives, but for each life, points. they get slightly less good. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. What what I like about it is uh, the uh, battle zones. Uh, they the starter comes with a, a card base, which is the size of the battle thing and mm-hmm. the buildings. But you can also buy uh, other ones like you can it's buy good high quality loading card stock. Yeah. yeah, very high quality card stock. You buy a loading zone or. Um, uh, industrial equipment or a forest gives you a whole variety of different planets so it, to be fighting yeah. on. So it's yeah. basically a scenery in a box for just one area for one thing. I like you know the problem with forty k is you run out, yeah. you buy your uh, army, yeah. and you lovingly put your army together. Then mm-hmm. you realise you've got no scenery and you end up playing on a big uh, six foot by four foot table, which is just <laughs> Planet no, chipboard. no yeah. scenery and uh, no. No line of sight blocking scenery, and so it just. And then you're having to make like, pressure gas canister, p- 
pressure gas tanks out of coke cans yeah. and things like and that. So, and so you then have to make enough scenery to make it interesting because you need to break up the battlefield. So yeah. people with long range guns don't have a massive advantage over the people who want to get in your face and stab you. Well, that's the big problem I think inherent in the basic game is that your your troops divide into two types. There's the shooty people and the people who can stab stuff well. Yeah. And the people who stab stuff well have to run very fast at the shooty people and yeah. then stab them. And if they die while they're running in and being shot at, then the shooty people win. And if the shooty people can't shoot them before they get close enough to stab them, the stabby people generally yeah. win. And that sort of seems to be the breakdown of every 40k and even this kill team game that I've ever played. So perhaps we ought to try like two sets of marines and see how that works. Yeah. Two sets well, of stabby people. Uh, uh, my marines were doing quite well as being stabby, yeah. I, I thought. They, they were holding on their own against the I think the that's the key. I think the, the, the mistake to make playing this is to assume it's a whole squad of the same trooper. Yeah, it's like, not. Like in 40k. Individual. 40k you'll get like 20 models and they'll all be identical, they'll all have the same abilities and they'll just move, 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 move and they do their thing. With the kill team thing, they're all supposed to have their own individual names and backstories. I've, I've done it's rather like um, Dawn of War 2 yeah. when you've got a squad of marines that you're looking after and it's just that squad for the entire yeah. campaign rather, as opposed to Dawn of War 1, which was just you know dumping hundreds of troops down and charging. Disposable. Yeah, yeah. The idea that they're elite hero types with their own individual names and backstories and, and experience bars. Do they level up and things? Yes, yeah, they yep, do, they don't they? Up. So that's a bit of a conceptual shift, I suppose, from the traditional 40k stuff. And I think that's where it all comes into its own. That's where you, you know, you'll start to tweak and refine and hone these people because you're supposed to care about the individual. Well, you're supposed to care about them enough to lavish attention on each individual model uh, customise them and yeah, uh, yeah. make them your own basically. Yeah. so yeah I, I like it so far Yeah, yeah um, I like it more than 40k to be honest I, I just, I just you know, I mean, the spectacle of a game of forty k in progress is fantastic. Just stuff everywhere going on, but the business of like you know rolling like rolling sixty dice to attack someone and then you know, moving everything individually to two two, we, two we need inches to play at a time. Two. I tell you what, we'll play custodies against uh, knights, hmm. and then you'll see how only having six models on the table makes forty k play. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah, yeah, it's like you're playing with elite, they're all elite units, and yeah. it gets much more tighter and much more focused. And it's not about you know just the vast cascade of dice and playing the, the overall probability. Curves. I do worry that close combat's too powerful. Mm. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean, we have to make sure we're using the rules right as well. Yeah, to... yeah, well, I'm, I'm getting there. And, and so, but we... then I think just the nature of the medium means not, they're not all going to be balanced. There's no. going to be stronger oh, yeah. and weaker stuff, and presumably there'll be a whole bunch of errata or rules tweaks and stuff going around. They all cycle. Yeah. Um, there isn't yet, but I'm saying that I bet there's one between now and one I've released in a couple mm. of days. Yeah, uh, yeah you, you went for Harlequins. Yes, Which Harlequins. are meant to be one of the most powerful armies, actually. They seem to be very... They're, they're very resilient. Well, they, they've got hollow field emitter things, which basically mean that anything incoming is, is a miss if they roll a four or more. 50-50 yeah. chance, basically, of everything of anything actually hitting them because they're yeah. like you know shimmery performers that like, also, aren't really there half the time. I, they're very good at close combat yeah. as well. Stabby. I, I've examined a lot of um, talk online, mm. and the general consensus appears to be that their ability to ignore terrain means they can walk through walls. They've got a thing called flip belts, which is basically like personal jump devices, yeah. anti-gravity generators. Basically, yeah, they can ignore walls and scenery yeah. and they terrain. They can just walk through walls. Through walls, okay. Fair which, enough. Yeah, we weren't playing like that, but yeah, that makes them very powerful. Yeah, So, well, that's, and also they have a thing which makes them charge further than everyone else as well. They roll three dice instead of two dice to run, which is important because they're a stabby, stabby army yeah. and they're going to get cut to pieces if they have well, to slowly walk towards them. When your long-range gun was six inches. Well, that's the other thing, is that a lot of the very long-range tactics from 40k are useless on this because the whole battlefield is what 24 inches across uh, I think it's 20 
two, the diagonal is, yeah. yeah, two two boards. 30, 37 by 20. Something. Yeah, 36 inches is going to take you well, off the map the, in any yeah, direction. That's the other important thing is you can play it on your uh, coffee table yes, if you want. You, you don't need a massive room to play in. The obligatory eight foot by five, five, five by six foot chipboard in the garage <laughs> yeah. or whatever, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's more portable, it's more accessible, it's cheaper to get started into. And, and ultimately, yeah, obviously, if you want to collect loads and loads of different kill teams, then it gets expensive. But yeah. if you just want one team and that's that's your, your basic minimum ticket to play, it's it, very, very It's definitely easy a game which is really good if you want to play a bit of games but do a lot of painting. Because then you can start putting together lots of kill teams, different things, and you're not stuck having to paint Five six hundred orcs. Yes, yes. You, you, you can just paint twenty orcs because you're lavishing your attention on six six models that have hero characteristics yeah. and a name and everything. You can spend a similar amount of devotion on them with the painting. Yeah, stuff. I think it's also very really good. make those six models look it, really. It's good. a very good way to learn to paint better as well. I think so. Because you're yeah. just painting more and more models, uh, and one at a time, and not yes. rushing them. That whole batch. When, when you're batch, when row. you're batch painting models, I don't <laughs> the think roller out. Yeah. you don't orcs. really learn as much. I don't think as yeah. when you're doing originally. Yeah. So after we played our physical game, yeah, well, actually before we played our physical game, but yeah. uh, I even lost track of who won and who lost. Yeah. To be honest, I think I lost one. You you won. I won one, you won two, did you? No, I think you won two. And I, I won, won two one. and you won yeah. one. Okay, fair enough. But yeah. Um, it was quite but, close, though. Yeah, but it seems relatively balanced. If we ignore uh, reality and the order of events, after we played that, we then played uh, uh, using Tabletop Simulator yes. with a bunch of the guys online. So doing this online, yeah. Which, yeah. So this is something I've always thought... Ever since we, we played a lot of tabletop simulation in the past. It is a fantastic thing in and of its own right. It's almost no use whatsoever as a solo computer game. It's utterly multiplayer dependent. But what it is, is, is a virtual space, and it does support VR goggles yeah, as well, does. in which you can have a board and some pieces and some dice and some cards, and that's it. You can have you can script it up to do scorekeeping and rules enforcement, but that's not really not what it's for. It is literally just a place in which you can play board games online with people who are hundreds of miles away or in different times or whatever and that to me was a magnificent thing i highly recommend it to everyone watching you get, get, get your little gang of online mates together your, your, your guild or your, your your gaming squad or whatever get 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 this thing it's for pcs on steam steam yeah. workshop then has hundreds and hundreds of board games of and dubious certainly uh, and also some which are paid dlc so they are legal. Some, there are there, yeah exactly you can actually buy board virtual versions of board games from some of the man, some games manufacturers who make them available through this thing but a lot of uh, hobby games on there as well of, of uh, amateur provenance and, and one of the things I saw on there was was a whole 40k armies, which yeah. I, I was surprised hadn't been taken down, given how litigious the old games workshop yeah. certainly were. Perhaps they still are, but I don't know. I don't think at the moment it really threatens their no, business quite. There's no, it is no substitute for having the miniatures and painting and doing it in, in real space, no. but it does make a kind of substitute that lets you try out a few things without going out and buying hundreds of pounds yeah. worth of miniatures, which is nice. I sort of try before you buy a system. But it also works online with our online gaming yeah. gang, and we had, a, we, had a, we got a couple of people in there. Unfortunately, the one game we played ran on for quite a long time. Well, it was the first game we'd ever played. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but you yeah. basically found, went out and found a, a battlefield. I found a battlefield yeah. and all of the cards and a bunch of the There's counters. a lot more cards to this than 40k. Yeah. They're but, quite important. But it's not deck building. It's just cards with abilities on. Yeah. Uh, basically, you have command points you can spend to do tactics. And You get two fresh ones of those every turn, and you can spend some of those points to flip a card and do yeah. the thing on the card. And there Look, are things might... like have another go yeah. or re-roll a dice or you know, move, move a bit further. 
early. And I, one thing I've noticed throughout the online and uh, the real game of this is I really underestimate how pivotal and important using those cards yeah. is. You've got to learn what those cards are. There's a whole set of generic cards that are available to every army, and then there are additional cards specific yeah. to the Harlequins then, then or the Space Marines. Yeah, there's six for everyone, I think. Yeah. And they are so important, yeah. really good, because they can really turn the whole thing around. And then cards. where it gets a bit dodgy is there's another six or so in each individual starter set for each army. Mm. So you would have to buy that even if you don't want to, just for six cards. Yeah. That's a little bit dodgy. Yeah. So, yeah. But, but yeah, you, so then once you've got your battlefield, you then go off and down. I think the way we found out to do it was to go to one of these armies that someone's put together as 3D models yep. for tables and simulators. Download that and run that as a single-player game, and it's just the models on a table. Then you can right-click and save each of those locally to your own sort of collection of pieces. Then, when you go and join the board that you'd set up and were hosting, if you grant the right kind of permissions, I can then add my own pieces yeah. from my own yeah. library onto that battlefield, which essentially is me just dropping six Harlequin models on there, and then away we go. And the way I see it, before long, we're just all going to save out everyone's armies and be able to make whatever army we want. Yeah, yeah. Anytime you see another player playing the Harlequins, you can just right-click and save those yeah. to your own line. Yeah, exactly. And since the army consists of like six to ten models, yeah. you, you don't really need to do loads and, of And that. I found some interesting marines, uh, the ones which are made from photos. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is, is all down to the individual skill of the or it's called, which is the ability to take uh, a bunch of uh, images of a 3D model. Yeah of a physical thing and make a 3D model from it. And so it looks just like a painted 3D model. It looks pretty good. Li not quite perfect, because yeah. it never will be. But, yeah, it looks fantastic. Yeah. But that's down to the individual modelling skill of whoever's created that Steam Workshop yeah. plugin. I, I, I spent a while actually looking at some of the 3D models that are available, trying to reskin them. Mm. And I reckon there's an awful lot that can be done there to make stuff better. And I'm I, yeah, I re-adding to the... Uh, I don't Workshop. format those in. You can probably open them up in some 3D modelling package oh, yeah. if you find yeah. the files in on your disk. It's object files mainly, yeah. or some of it is... Tweak them, retexture them. Say if you had a, like a set of ultramarines that are blue yeah. and you wanted to turn them into blood angels with red but detail instead. Funny enough, instead. turning people from blue to green. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That would be... But I found I found models for pretty much every 40k army out there that would do as yeah. sub... They wouldn't necessarily be holding exactly the same things your, your characters say they do on their little stat sheets, but then you'd know who is what. Oh, and play. the advantage that this has over... Uh, um, uh, the tabletop one is you can actually name the model. Yes. So when you mouse over it, you can see what the model's name is, so you know yeah. which one it is. You give it tooltips. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, and and uh, I assume we can track health points in a more elegant way than trying to keep counters next yeah. to them. But, but yeah, it was a little bit cumbersome because I think that's just basic limitations of tabletop simulator. It is ultimately a system for manipulating 3D space with a mouse and a screen. Yeah. You know? So there is going to be a certain learning to work with tabletop simulator that isn't really Kill Team's fault necessarily. And that, that the, can the, be a little bit cumbersome. I don't it comes know. comes with practice though. There, there are things that could be added which would make it nicer, like the movement could be a bit nicer. But then essentially at this point we're criticising the module that someone put together for the map. You know. Yeah, the tabletop module somebody put together and put out for free. Tabletop which simulator. is a little bit me. I know. Tabletop Simulator is Tabletop Simulator. Yeah. I mean, it works just as well for, like, Carcassonne or Lords of Waterdeep or, you know, chess. You know, if I was Games Workshop, I would be uh, suggesting that people were to make a real game of this um, using... Yeah. Proper models and proper buildings proper and proper things yeah. and sell it. Keep it outside of Steam and, and do it, no, do it no. themselves. Yeah, no, put it on Steam. Well, and, yeah, put, yeah, do, have it they, have they their should, own engine. Yeah, yeah, they should have a third party make this game as a uh, um, good idea. Tabletop yeah. game. I expect the license for Kill Team will be out on its way out to some game yeah. studio at some well, point. Yeah, that's the point. It'll take two years for it to come out. So yeah, who knows when? But until then, this is an admirable substitute. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we, we, it worked quite well, I thought. Um, yeah. It took us ages to play, and yeah. we were still learning the rules. Uh, and 
Yeah, I think we're going to elaborate on the format. Maybe have people playing multiple games yeah. rather than everyone just sat there watching me and him well, lumbering at each other. But, yeah, um, and, and, well, I think this week when we play, then there's a other certain spectator are, value to it yeah. as well. I mean, you don't necessarily need to be. Well, if, if, if you just want to play, then we can you, know, you can hive off other games and do those elsewhere. This week when we play, I want other people to play, not us. Yeah. Um, We'll probably just be the one game I suspect. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to put together a bunch of uh, example armies that people can get. Yeah, you'll be on hand to, to yeah. arbitrate yeah, we'll, rules we'll and look up with, stats with and things. With copies of the rules. And, yeah. Yeah. and now I've got my reference sheet all printed out. That's a lot easier. Yeah, I think we're talking about organising all that in the Slack channel, which you can find yeah. using your own deductive powers. And people and do. It's we're playing on Thursday nights UK time if Thursday's you want to come on and play. Yeah. Yeah, uh, there'll be plenty of room. And, um, and a variety a, of willing opponents. In a couple of weeks, hopefully, uh, everyone's up to speed and playing, so uh, there'll be lots of pickup games as well. Yeah, yeah. And then I want to have a campaign run. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Put together a bit, little bit of narrative, a bit of story yeah. as to what's going on. By putting a little website to track the results. Yeah. Yes, yes. See, so that's, that's sort of the, uh, the, the, the wider meta game of Kill Team, is that you, you string it together into a story yeah. with multiple small fights. Because they are little single-squad incursions, you're coming up with reasons why they're there, what's, what's at stake. And yeah. We were just playing games where they just... You just had to kill each other. Yeah, we weren't. We we haven't even uh, gone on to the objectives yet, which mm. will dramatically change the game. Yes, because I mean, when it's just two bunch of people running together and meeting in the middle and exploding, yeah, you that's were, very simple. But if somebody's having to run over there, grab that, grab that, grab that, yes, it adds tactics. Suddenly, and it's different complexity because otherwise, it's work out if you're a stabby army or a shooty army, and then either stand still and wait for them to come to you, or go to them, and whoever manages to do that best wins. Yeah. But yeah, objectives should spice things up considerably. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, Oh, and of course, if your guy dies in the game, mm. there's a chance that um, he's actually dead. Um, you roll the dice afterwards and see if he's actually oh, dead. Okay, so there's all sorts of rules for yeah. long-term campaign improvements yeah. and yeah, problems. people get better, people will die people occasionally, die not as often. Yeah, but yeah, change their gear, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the idea of caring about an individual space marine is quite novel. Frankly. Yeah, well, <laughs> he's I, my favourite space marine. I like the idea of oh, I'm really upset that my heavy bolter guys got killed because mm. he's done so well in all these games and yeah, he's levelled yeah. up. Or it's almost I, like a Blood Bowl team in a way. Yeah, isn't it? and I, I also quite like the idea of, oh, I'm really glad that uh, his, his leader, Harlequin's, died because he is such a pain. <laughs> <laughs> Seeing individual enemy models coming, go, oh, that one, right, yeah, yeah I need it, I want him. Yeah. He's always a problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I was quite surprised how well the tabletop simulator worked pretty much straight out of the bat. We had no idea if it would work. It was quite no? experimental yeah. and it seems to do yeah, pretty much everything we need. Yeah, a decent enough map. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to. It seems like the models for everything you could possibly need are out there on Steam Workshop yeah. somewhere. Uh, it sometimes takes a little while to find them, but once you do, and once you've got a community finding them and getting them all together, yeah. then it just sort of shares like a virus. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting and it's great, and I'm really enjoying it. And I think it's. We I mean, like the real Kill Team as well. I, 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 yeah. I, I normally don't bother buying in any in any of this Games Workshop nonsense, but I thought, oh, all right, six models, I can go with that. And so uh, it ended up yeah. ten models actually. Um, yeah. Well, that's a pile of buildings on the floor behind us. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, so I, yeah, I, I don't mind small, limited scale teams. It's like that Man of War thing in the Uncharted Seas. You know, things where you've only got like, a small handful of models and you're done. Yeah. Not oh god, I've, you know, I still got to get, still got to find the money for like another two thousand models or orcs. I, I, am, I have willpower. I do. It's, it's, well, I, I'm, I'm done for now anyway. Yeah. 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 Oh, I do want a solitaire. I need one of those. <laughs> mm. Okay. Yep. You can't use it in Kill Team. 
Well, yeah, that, that was disappointing. It turns out half the specialist Harlequins I went out and got don't even exist in Kill Team. Yeah, but you're so. going to enjoy playing. Well, they're, they're yeah. just models that are different yeah. to the other Harlequins. Yeah. So that means I can I can designate that's my heavy weapons specialist guy or that's my zealot specialist yeah. guy. They're not actually what they, they apparently say they are, but yeah. Yeah, they're nice models as well. It, it's really it's like not them. as if we're at a Games Workshop sanctioned event where everything has to be 100%. As long as everyone's happy, everyone's yeah, happy. Yeah, that's it. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, that's cool. that. Uh, I'm going to talk a bit briefly. Uh, Very Anno, briefly. Anno 2070 I picked up and I'm playing again. Fant- oh. I love it. Fantastic game. I mean, you know, you play aside. I can't know. remember why I stopped I'm not going to do the you play rant. So there, I stopped playing because I got really far into the campaign and I and I just started to really overbalance my economy. I, it was getting to the point where I was constantly dipping it. I was about minus sort of 4,000 on the incremental money side and I was just about running low on money and I was offsetting that by trading so loading loads of surplus materials in docks and, and going off to the NPC arcs and just selling them there and that was that was propping back up my massive yeah. income deficit and I was just about keeping a balance but it was starting to over, go, over, overbalance and, I, and it was the big campaign thing where the big AI from the science people had gone rogue and you were trying to basically out economic it and try and bring it down by building all sorts of technologies and going after it and so I'd sort of my, my economy was overbalancing and it was getting really stressed and I thought oh, gosh, you know, put, it, put, it, put it down for a bit and go away and play something else and I never really came <laughs> back. Five years later. Yeah, a couple of years later I came back to it and I thought, oh yeah, that. And so I picked it up and I, but it was one of those things where I just psyching myself up to really have a go and then like half an hour later, oh, we're done. Oh. I was half an hour from the end of the campaign. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, I managed to, and it turned out that during the campaign, because I think the normal rules for Anno 2070 is if you get to minus 10,000 credits, um, the Global Trust people come in and seize your assets, game over. But I think for the campaign, or for Certainly for this particular mission, it wasn't doing that. And so it was just quite happy with me being like minus 30,000 in debt as long as I was pursuing the objectives. And I managed to bring it around and re-stabilise my economy. And then, yeah, built the rarest technologies I needed. One, hooray. Ah. I was like, oh, okay. Oh, I was enjoying that. <laughs> but it turns out there's loads of single-player mis- you know, single missions as well. Um, and also quite a lot of online stuff, yeah. quite a lot of competitive stuff. And then they do these fairly regular events as well, which is sort of comes off the central server that, you know, this this week we need to do this kind of objective. And, you know, there's a whole load of maps to do that as well. So there's a lot more mileage in it. And so I've, effectively I'm now playing on some of the single objective ones. There's all achievements that go with it as well. Of course. But I just love the look and feel of, of Anno 2070 specifically. I suppose the Anno, other Anno games, of a similar kind of thing um, uh, yeah different times yeah different time periods I think it's Anno 14 whatever was the first less the, the first one was like a sort of Columbus era merchant trading yeah. thing but very similar you had docks you build plantations and you, know, you work various different economic Tech, tra- tech trees and supply chains of particular materials into secondary and tertiary processing. But with 2070 it's set in this sort of near future where the global warming's been and gone and it's all yeah. islands now and you know we're sort of the various large organisations working to rebuild the world and, and put things back in order after this huge ecological collapse. And it's a, it's a kind of optimistic hopefulness to it. The music's fantastic. The, um, the, it's a yappy dog. It's a yappy yes. dog. Um, the music and the look and the feel and the art style is amazing. Really good, sort of intricate, detailed mouse wheel zoom in, and you've got these lush islands and all these science fiction style, near futuristic looking buildings, and, and and just a whole load of people who you get to make happy by making useful economic decisions about where to put factories. It's it's <laughs> like, like it, it's just a really nice thing to be, really pleasant game to be playing through, you know. 
Um, and yeah, the sort of intricacies of putting the, the supply chains together are nice and, and fun. I, I mean, there's a certain degree of combat to it, but it really is placeholder combat. It's every so often a red unit will come in and shoot at your thing a bit, and you shoot it back, and then it goes away. I mean, certainly during the campaign, it was it was sending one unit at me every sort of ten minutes or so, just to remind me that there was a war going yeah. on. But usually, it gives you plenty of breathing space in which to work the economic stuff and plan. You know, the town planning of it all. It's sort of halfway between SimCity and an uh, actual RTS, and it's mostly about the sort of economic supply chain and keep you know doing in building enough plantations to feed this particular factory which makes those things and eventually you'll make enough people happy they pay more tax the whole whole system balances out it is a game without ratios and and and, but a really fantastic sort of look and feel to a very pleasant kind of game to be whiling away an hour in you know that just one more turn feel so yeah so i'm just uh, still enjoying that quite a lot at the moment yeah um, yeah, over to you. Anything? I'm going to briefly talk about uh, Graveyard Keeper. Graveyard Keeper? Okay. Yes. You're a bloke mm-hmm. who dies, yeah. uh, wakes up. <laughs> oh, yeah, as you do. Uh, wakes up, and apparently he now has to run a graveyard. Uh, okay. Um, it's very much like Stardew Valley. <laughs> okay, um, okay so I also haven't played. It looks like that. It's the pixel art mm-hmm. um, 2D jobby. Yeah. Uh, so you you basically have to do the same sort of thing. You have to run your graveyard, yeah. which involves... Planting things and harvesting things. Well, mm. this donkey yes. brings you bodies. <laughs> right. Which need to be buried. Okay. And so you take them down to the morgue, you prepare yeah. the body, no. you put them in the grave, you put a gravestone down and the grave aging and everything and great like farming yeah. but not but what happens is you need to make your graveyard as beautiful as possible and the quality of the corpse matters okay so you might want to do w- things what, what physical quality or moral quality or physical quality okay so uh, you might want to say take out all the fat and then you get a better looking corpse okay uh, and so extensive mortuarial yeah. and, stuff and so your your uh, uh, graveyard gets a score based on how good stuff you do uh, to start with, it might be minus three, but you'll put a gravestone on and a nice surround and it'll go up to plus something. And, you okay, yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, and this is great. And so you do that for a while. And donkey keeps bringing more corpses and you bury them. You don't like this one, you chuck it in the river. <laughs> <laughs> you have very high exclusivity standards for your well, graveyard. Well, you've already got have beautiful corpses. Right. That's, that's quite um, corpsist. Yeah. Or something. <laughs> so there's some kind of wrong about that. But and I when you bury, you get a, a bit of paper which you're going to trade in at the village after a while and you get money for because that, okay. that's how it works. Right. Paid by the body. Good. Also, you can do things with the bits you cut off. Right. What? <laughs> hmm. And so, in the you, know, you start doing that. And in the meantime, there's a village you can go to, to trade with people. But there's also all this construction you need to do. You chop down trees to get wood. You have to find iron. You have to get coal to smelt the iron and stuff. Well, hang on. You're running a graveyard and smelting your own iron. Yeah. Mm, okay. Well, you see... You Traditionally, need, that's you done need, off-site by need, a third party. You need to make the graves. You need to make the tools to make the stuff to make the graves. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you decide to bootstrap your own primary industries yeah, basically, to support yeah. it. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. And then you've just, got, like, buy tools in town. Yeah, and then... You, well, you can buy tools in town, but they cost money. And you... To start with, there's no money in town because your church is closed. Right. Uh, and so you need to open the church to the pilgrims come and so that the innkeeper can start paying you for burying bodies. Um, okay, yeah. And then once you open the church, because the bishop comes and he tells you that you need to open your church, and you open your church, yeah. and then you have to start being the uh, priest as well. Okay. And then you have to ha- have sermons and things. <laughs> and on every Sunday... Uh, you have to, uh, uh, well, you don't have to, but mm. you can 
um, have a uh, service where you go and you do it and depending on how good the church is and the score the quality score of the church and the graveyard yeah. depends on uh, if and what sermon you do depends on if it succeeds how much belief you get and uh, how much they give you money wise in um, the uh, um, collection box okay which is the important thing of yeah. the churches I've discovered right the collection box <laughs> uh, I feel like this game's making a lot of different all statements all at the same time it's making yeah. lots of statements all at the same time yes, and yes. I'm not entirely sure all of them are positive <laughs> against organised religion right yes sounds yeah yeah and so you, you basically spend sounds a lot busy. you spend a lot of time doing things like I need to unlock this area they're putting to build a bridge I need to make these planks which need these machines to do it mm -hmm. and collect wood or I need to uh, um, there's somebody who needs something somebody needs some alcohol so I've got to find the alcohol either make it myself or get it for other means and yeah. give it to them so they're kind of the next quest and it goes on from there quite a lot you go meet an inquisitor there's um, a merchant who um, sells you things <laughs> and you quest for hmm. okay. and yet it's very interesting and very nice and it's very relaxing and at the heart of it I'm harvesting corpses for bits like I'm taking their skin off and turning it into um, paper so I can write sermons on it what? Okay, so it's a Stardew, Stardew Valley for the rest of us. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> okay. Oh, and when everyone goes to church, they're wearing these grey robes with hoods over their heads. So it's, it's not... Cultist yeah. simulator. It's, it's very cultisty. <laughs> I'm not pushing too hard to figure out what's yes. wrong with the uh, church at the moment, but I think it may not be on the light side Once of the... Once you get the, enough uh, belief terrible things happen from I the mean, other place mm, okay <laughs> and it keeps feeling like i've got somewhere with it but then i had to look at how many achievements i got i've got 60 out of a thousand and <laughs> then i had to look down the achievement and thought oh really okay there's a lot more to this game than didn't i know it occur to me to try that yeah yeah okay fine so yeah so what i've basically been doing is um, unlocking more technology at the moment it sounds like an intricate system that's interesting to play with oh it's very interesting yeah mm -hmm. a bit uh, like anno i suppose yeah. ratios and you do processes you've got, you've got three different types of xp you've got red xp green xp and blue xp right uh red xp you get for doing stuff green xp tends to be when you harvest something or make something that's a bit like that mm -hmm. and blue xp is research xp and that's really hard to get to start with okay so i've been trying <laughs> science r d tech yeah. tree yes there's an r d tech tree better sorts of grave Yes, mm -hmm. yes. There's <laughs> six or seven pages of text you can unlock. Yeah. yeah it, and as an undertaker, I suppose it takes a bit of research to work out to make steel from first principles. Well, yeah. no, stuff like, you know, embalming fluid. And uh, all the things you would need to do to be able to make a body nice to bury. Nice, yeah. Nice, nice body. Okay. Uh, nice corpse, because mm. leave a beautiful corpse. Fair enough. Uh, and also, yeah, stuff like, you know, unlocking new types of furnaces so you can do glass blowing. Up Sounds quite there. surreal, but is it fun? Very much so. Okay. Um, it's one of those nice, relaxed, I don't think it's possible to fail kind of games. Yes, yeah. Which I like. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, just so fun and relaxing and i really like it and i just love the mood it has and i love this slightly quirky oh hang on this isn't right is it kind of thing about everything <laughs> every software you take a step back and look at what you're actually yeah. doing yes uh, and, and, and oh the donkey's a talking donkey why not um, and nothing just, surprises me about this game anymore and to start off he just moans about his boss and um 
uh, says, you know, it's not fair. He's, uh, he's given uh, carrots, but yeah, he's doing all the work. <laughs> and, and then after you're given the uh, church, yeah. he, he, he then uh, has issues with you because you're no longer a comrade. <laughs> and in fact, you're, you're, you're now um, the oppressing people. Right. And, and he's not going to bring any more bodies until you uh, give him carrots. Because why should he do it for free? Because you, you're no longer a friend. You're, you're, yeah. Wow. That's harsh. It is harsh. Yeah. It's actually a really nice gating mechanic to stop you getting overwhelmed by bodies. Okay. Yeah. Fair yeah, enough. no, it's really nice. I really like it. It's really enjoyable. Uh, I only started playing it because it released and it was free on uh, Xbox Game Pass. Mm. I say free. It was part of Xbox Game Pass because they're putting more and more newly released games on it. Amazing what a free and, game will do, yeah. Yeah. And so I started playing it and then it it has made several Sunday mornings disappear. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, so I really like it. Cool. Really good, really fun. Recommend it. Yeah, excellent. Uh, right, so what did you learn this week? I learnt that the beautiful summer of doing nothing has, has come to an end. Uh, and the end of those halcyon days. Halcyon days, yeah. I decided to take the summer off because I could, and I was given the opportunity to take the summer off, and now I need to uh, Decided get to take the autumn not off. I've decided to, to, to mm. take the autumn in somewhere that will pay me money. That's always nice. And, uh, yeah, and I've discovered that I really hate that process, but um, it's all over now almost. So, excellent, yeah. I like to say it gets easier each time, but it, no, yeah, it doesn't really. Um, yeah, and I've learned the uh, more more data about the limits of my physical endurance. I walked twenty one miles last Sunday, oh. and that was quite good. Where did you end up? Uh, my dad's house. Surprised, okay. surprised <laughs> him by turning up at the door. Bang, bang, bang! I, oh, I walked here. You what? <laughs> yeah, brilliant. He <laughs> gave me a lift home. So that's okay, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it's the uh, the coast path coming up at the end of September. Oh yeah, last yes, week yes. in September. Week, week three, and this week I, I promised to do sound checks every morning because apparently I had microphone troubles. I yeah. didn't even know about it till I got home. No. So I, well, I did a sound check the very first day, and that was fine. But I think I must have just yanked it or something. Oh, the, the cables break. Caught the cable yeah. on, a, on a style or something. On early on day one and then it got a bit intermittent yeah. from there on and you did a good job editing from yeah. what I gather but, yeah. but uh, yes I'll need to do I've brought an entirely new microphone now and also rebuilt my phone with a new battery in it so uh, hopefully that all still works now but, it was uh, bulging a bit yes yeah, in an alarming way but um, yes so I need to keep the hiking going I need to keep in trim keep my feet tough otherwise yeah. I'll end up with blisters and things but uh, I've got new boots this time around it's going to be an easier week uh, this is Padstow to, to St Ives which is uh, the guide website says it's all a lot flatter Although there will be some more up and down, so... Uh, I'm really useful for knowing how to disarm a bomb. Um, what? There was a man from St Ives. Um, yes, that was something to do with... Die Hard 3. Oh, no. What? Ah, yes. Yes, I shall be looking for a man with cats and wives and things yeah. um, as we go. Anyway, um, yeah, so good to know that I can still do it, although I couldn't do my, my, my three week, thrice-weekly run this week because my, my legs were aching too oh. much for, like, about three days. So, yeah, so there are limits. That's endurance. But mind you, the, the coast path would be, like, 12 miles a day yeah. tops, so it's not going to Well, next time you do 20 miles, it won't hurt as much either. I think so, yeah. Just keep it going, keep it going, yeah. yeah. But I, I've... I've Sort of building this mental this map in my head of places I can walk to from my house. And it's it's getting, big, circle. it's getting bigger. Yeah, yeah my radius, my, the areas I have conquered because I gamify everything in my mind. Yeah. So Don't yeah, that's good. Um, right, excellent. Do you spill? Go to howtomatertime.com to find uh, the previous episodes of this and all the Van Hemlock uh, episodes. Uh, go along to YouTube. You can see the video version if you want to see our faces mm, and some gameplay footage. And some gameplay footage. Which I remember to bring along this time. Yeah. And join us next time when we'll have more games. See you later. Goodbye.